Hi, everyone. We are thrilled to have Glass Health as our sponsor. Let's hear from Dr. Derek Paul, the co-founder and CEO of Glass Health, which is a platform for medical knowledge management and AI-assisted diagnosis. We're trying to build a platform that can help us improve patient outcomes by managing medical knowledge and learning better, and then also decrease documentation time on the clinical plan side. Uh, we'll, we'll hear about folks who said, well, you know, I have, I have my dot phrase, but it's actually really hard for me to maintain all of my dot phrases, the 40 of them that I have, and make sure they're always sort of, uh, uh, you know, evidence-based and up-to-date. So having this team of folks at Glass keep the AI's training up-to-date on those topics is really, really helpful. And I, I generated this plan, and actually there were some things in there that I wasn't going to do. Um, so that, those have been the little stories already that are propping, that are starting, starting to pop up. Great. And what do you think is the biggest value add? Why should people go and click on the link in the show notes? The thing that's most exciting to me about Glass and the team that's building Glass is that it's us. It's us. And I think it's important because the world is changing and certainly AI is changing the world. And in order for it to be done really well in healthcare, it has to be us. Oh, we have to be in that conversation. Uh, we have to be really asking the hard questions. Yes, so great. There's a free version as well as a Glass Pro version where you get unlimited AI queries. Good news, you can get one month free access to Glass Pro using the promo code CORIM. We'll link it in our show notes. And with that, let's get on to the episode. Hey everyone, as promised on the last Five Pearls episode on steroids, here's the bonus with Dr. Sharif. She had a really easy way to understand cosentropin stimulation test, also known as court stim test or ACTH stimulation test, but we just couldn't fit it into the original steroids episode. So when I sat down with Dr. Sharif, we talked about one, what is a court stim test and what exactly is it testing? Two, how to interpret the results, and three, how to tell the difference between steroid withdrawal and adrenal insufficiency. And to get us into that headspace, let's first do a quick throwback to steroid tapers. Acknowledging what Dr. Shreve said on the last episode, that if you ask five different endocrinologists, you'll get 10 different answers of how to do steroid tapers. What is, what is your approach to steroid tapers? Anecdotally, what has worked for me and physiologically what makes most sense is to get patients to hydrocortisone and then taper them off to get them down to a lower than physiologic dose and then test them for their ability to make their steroids naturally on their own. So for example, if someone comes in on, say, 10 milligrams of prednisone who has been on it for several months and now they require a steroid taper, what I end up doing is switching them over to a dose equivalent switch of hydrocortisone. And then stepping down that dose gradually, depending on how long they've been on steroids. And physiologically, it makes more sense because prednisone is a longer acting steroid and has more chances of suppressing the HPA axis that you're actually actively trying to wake up by doing your taper. So it makes sense to switch them over to a shorter acting um, steroid that wears off overnight. And then you have time for that HPA axis to wake up in the morning and take on that next step on the taper dose. So let's say you've been on steroids for five months, then the steroid taper can be done a little quicker compared to someone who's been on it 
for say two years or has other comorbidities that could complicate your assessment of the steroid taper. So then I typically end up doing a step-down approach where I start first with the morning dose, dropping the morning dose, and then step down the afternoon dose, then step down the morning dose, then the afternoon, and keep going that way until I reach a dose of five milligrams or less of hydrocortisone, and then have the patient hold their dose a couple of days before they do their actual cosentropin stimulation test. And that seems to have worked for a majority of my patients, especially the ones that require, I say, a gentle taper. And just to pause real quick and be explicit, why are we having our patients hold their steroids and do this cosentropin stimulation test? Well, this cord stim test is used to check for adrenal insufficiency and how much the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access, the HPA access, has been affected by being on steroids. Now, I will say sometimes you can just get away with the AM cortisol. If it's less than three micrograms per deciliter, it's very specific for adrenal insufficiency, but there is some nuance to interpreting that AM cortisol. We talked about this back in 2018 on our adrenal insufficiency episode. But if you can't get away with just an AM cortisol, the court stim test, on the other hand, is very sensitive to picking up adrenal insufficiency. Do you always do a court stim after, with all tapers, or, or is it just kind of your patients who are ad- concerned for adrenal insufficiency? And I'm curious your practice on that. Yeah, it depends on how long they've been on steroids, right? So if it's been a short taper, um, and usually people don't come to endocrinologists if they've been yeah. on like, you know, five days of steroids, right? So we're talking people who need assistance getting out of steroids because they've been on it for stable marrow transplants. They've been on it for mm-hmm. RA or lupus for a very long time. And now they're on steroid-sparing agents and their rheumatologist or pulmonologist has said, okay, they can get off of steroids. We need some help. So we're not usually seeing the ones that are easy tapers. So when they come to us, they've been on steroids for a while, and that's the assumption. So when we try to taper these folks off, we do end up doing a cosentropin stimulation test because that really puts us in a place that we can make a decision if the patient can, number one, be off of steroids, should be worried about an adrenal crisis. If, say, they have a flu or a COVID infection, right? Do we know that the HPA axis has woken up enough that it would respond to it? So yes, in our practice, because of the patient population that we see, we do end up doing cosentropin stimulation tests at the end of every steroid taper. Can you just explain for people who haven't thought of cosentropin tests for a while, what exactly it is and um, what exactly you're looking for with the 14 versus the greater than 18? Absolutely. So this is a common test that we end up doing um, in endocrine, right? In endocrine, we're very convoluted, I say. When we are looking for deficiency, we like to stimulate you. And when we're looking for excessive hormones, we like to suppress you. Right. So that's the basic ideology and the concept that we go with. Right. And we're all about pathways and how folks are responding. So if you want to understand about how ACTH and cortisol are kind of cross-talking to each other, you think of the pituitary gland that's sending an email in the form of ACTH telling the adrenal glands that are sitting right on top of the kidneys to make that end hormone, which is cortisol. Right. So when we have patients, let's say long-term steroids, so we are causing tertiary adrenal insufficiency where we're shutting down that HPA axis. So we're shutting that down. So we suspect that under the influence of the steroids, your ACTH is low and your core is also. To review just one more time to make sure we all have this, the part of the HPA axis we need to know is that the pituitary gland produces ACTH, which then goes down and tells the adrenals to produce cortisol. 
long-term steroid suppresses the whole HPA axis. So when we do our steroid tapers and we want to do, say, a cosyntropin test to determine if the patient can respond, what we're trying to do is we're trying to give a nice horse kick to the adrenal glands to make it wake up and bring it back from where they're vacationing in Hawaii back to making some steroids, <laughs> right? Because that's what the body understands. If I'm taking prednisone or hydrocortisone for, say, five months, the adrenal glands, the way they respond is that, hey, I'm not needed. I can go vacation in Hawaii because someone else is doing my job. And you know how hard it is to come back from vacation. That's exactly <laughs> why we do a taper. We try to ask them to come back, send them some flowers, send them some <laughs> chocolate and say, hey, you got to come back over here and start acting, right? So at the end of these tapers, that is what we're doing. We're giving a horse kick in the form of an ACTH shot. So cosyntropin is nothing but synthetic ACTH that is given in the form of an intramuscular shot, typically because it's given in clinic. And we get labs done at time zero. We like to do it at eight o'clock in the morning. Again, we're not held on to that timing depending on when your patient comes in and how far they live, right? So ideally 8 a.m. in the morning because you want to see at the peak time what your cortisol and ACTH at baseline are. And then the patient gets that shot. They wait in the waiting room for about 60 minutes, go back down to the lab, get the post-stimulation cortisol done, which is after 60 minutes. And people do it differently. They do 30 minutes and 60 minutes. We typically end up doing 60 minutes. And what we see is the relative difference between the pre and the post cortisol. And the numbers you want to hit is above 14 for the post-stimulation cortisol, which is very reassuring. And then above 18 is absolutely reassuring. So just a quick recap. When you give synthetic ACTH, we can see if the adrenals are working the way they should by measuring the cortisol levels 30 and 60 minutes afterwards. The numbers we want to look for is a cortisol that's above 18 micrograms per deciliter. I will say though, the cutoff on newer assays is actually as low as 14 micrograms per deciliter. Either way, the higher the post-stimulation cortisol, the better. For From a patient perspective, if I've done a taper and I've been off of steroids, and I've done a cosyntropin test, and my post-stimulation cortisol is 19, 20, I'm in the blue. I'm doing very well. I can be off of steroids. You get a blessing from the endocrinologist and you say, everything's fine. Call me if you need me. Don't throw away your steroids just in case and just hang on to that. And here's my number, right? Now, if someone comes back with a post-stimulation cortisol as seven, they, so they went from five to seven, I know that those adrenal glands have not woken up right? That is a patient that either may need lifelong steroids or can get off of steroids in the future with a slower taper. And if it's someone who's 80 years old with multiple comorbidities, I'd rather say, we're going to keep you on steroids, very low dose steroids, quality of life matters. We're not going to go through this um, experience again. So really at that point, it comes back to the discussion of who would be an okay candidate to leave on steroids versus would you like to attempt to get off of steroids because now they're 40 years old and they have a long life ahead, right? So it really depends on those factors. You know, this made me think a lot about steroid withdrawal syndrome that we talked about in our last episode and how it differs from adrenal insufficiency. With steroid withdrawal syndrome, a patient typically feels fatigued, nauseous, dizzy, EGI, upset, depressed, but they are not adrenally insufficient. But when I think about it, those symptoms of steroid withdrawal syndrome sound very similar to chronic adrenal insufficiency. Both of them kind of make you feel like crap. So I asked Dr. Sharif how she tells a difference because now that I understand court stim tests more, it sounds like we have some objective guidance here, right? If our patient is still just not feeling great, but their cortisol level comes back greater than 18 micrograms per deciliter, 
maybe we can clearly tell them, hey, you're not adrenally insufficient and this is steroid withdrawal syndrome or something else. And I asked her if that thinking is correct. So with endocrine, one good thing is that we don't have a lot of vague things in endocrine, which is a good thing, right? So you can quack like a duck, you can walk like a duck, but if the labs tell me it's not a duck, it's not a duck, right? That's how we look at it in endocrine. It's, it's, it's not black and white. Of course, everything's not black and white, but we're more closer towards that, more so than, say, specialties that are more driven by symptomatology, right? So we have lab work. We rely heavily on that. And oftentimes, if I'm getting absolutely normal cosyntropin stimulation tests and the patient still has multiple complaints of fatigue, I have this, I have that, I'm not feeling really good. I'm talking to them about the fact that your symptoms are real. But the answer is not an adrenal insufficiency because we've proven with multiple tests that this seems to be working very well. And that's what the body reads as a barcode, right? So body is translating that and understanding those levels and doing things according to that. So if the levels are fine, that's how your body's responding. And yes, is fatigue a million-dollar diagnosis? Absolutely. You can go from your hair to your toenails and you'll have a specialist tell you a big differential in what fatigue is. So at that point, I'm really thinking about, is there other hormone abnormalities that I can fix, right? Is there, say, vitamin D deficiency? Is there iron deficiency? Are we talking about um, hypothyroidism? Are they on thyroid replacement already? Should that be optimized? Are they an older gentleman? And is this low testosterone, right? So these are the kind of things I'm exploring in patients and trying to kind of go down that list rather than pinning uh, the tail on adrenal insufficiency within normal cosyntropin stimulation tests, right? So if the labs are telling me this is normal, everything's fine, patient still has complaints, patient symptoms are real, but it's not coming from adrenal insufficiency. That's the kind of discussion I end up having. And it's easier to have that sort of discussion when the patient is coming to see a subspecialist because the buck kind of stops with us, right? So it's a harder discussion to have, say, at other specialties because they may not have extended the testing to that point, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. where they're having that discussion. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, so interesting. Makes me want to do like a adrenal insufficiency 2.0 episode, actually. Do you, you want to do an endocrine fellowship? We can totally recruit you. I know. That'd be so fun. <laughs> okay. That was wishful thinking while it lasted. Happy being an internist for now. So let me try to summarize what we've learned. When doing a steroid taper, there's tons of ways to do it. But as we learned in the steroids episode, hydrocortisone is short acting and a physiologic analog, and that can be helpful in waking up the adrenals. A quartz stint test can be helpful to test the adrenals. If the cortisol level 30 and 60 minutes after injecting synthetic ACTH or cosyntropin is less than 18 micrograms per deciliter, or with newer assays is less than 14 micrograms per deciliter, then we know the adrenals have not sufficiently woken up during that steroid taper. If, however, the quartz stim test results greater than 18 micrograms per deciliter or 14 micrograms per deciliter, depending on the assay, but our patient is still feeling fatigued, nauseous, dizzy, having some GI symptoms, just not feeling great, then we can say this is not adrenal insufficiency and maybe steroid withdrawal syndrome, or we can broaden our differential for other things that can come with fatigue. And that is a wrap for this bonus episode. If you enjoyed this bonus episode and want to help pick out even more bonus content to share, send us an email and come join the Core IM team. We do tons of interviews and have content that doesn't end up making it on air, but is still gold. Thank you to everyone involved that made this episode possible, particularly Dr. Sam Woodworth for the accompanying graphic, as well as to Dr. Tina Fan for the show notes. Thank you, everyone, and see you next Wednesday. Take care.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.